If you are able, turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6 will be one of our texts this morning. And then if you can keep a finger in 1 Peter 3.15. So Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6 and 1 Peter 3.15. We will read Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6 and then 1 Peter 3.15. Hear now the inspired, the inerrant, and the infallible words of God. Colossians 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. May the Lord bless the reading and now the preaching of His Holy Word. The title of this sermon is Speak of the Gospel to the Lost. Um, as I was preparing to, to preach this sermon, um, I thought of how frequently I would speak of the Gospel to the Lost when I was in the medical field. For many years, I was an ophthalmic technician and I would interact with, with many people from all kinds of backgrounds. And so I had so many conversations with, with so many people from so many places and in those conversations, I was able to speak of Christ to them. But as I was thinking about these texts uh, and this sermon, I thought of how, how different it is for me now. How, how infrequently I speak to unbelievers about the Gospel as I once did. And, and that makes me sad. But but I'm responsible for that. I nor any minister of the Word should think that preaching in corporate worship, though unbelievers are present, is an excuse or... Yeah, an excuse for, for speaking of the Gospel to those who are outside. All that to say, the need to speak of the Gospel to the lost is just as important for the minister as it is for the church member. No one is exempt from speaking of the Gospel to the lost. All of us need to open up our mouths and speak of this Gospel. This, this sermon is a doctrinal sermon where we will consider the doctrine of evangelism. This sermon is particularly focused on what is subservient I call subservient evangelism. What is, what is the primary way to evangelize as we read in Holy Scripture? The primary way we evangelize as the people of God is in the public proclamation of the Gospel in the faithful preaching of the Word. But subservient to that, actually informed by that, is our speaking of the Gospel. As we will return to later, while all faithful preaching of the Gospel involves speaking of the Gospel, 
Not all speaking of the Gospel is preaching of the Gospel. So this sermon is a doctrinal sermon on that, in that subservient way of evangelism, our speech, our speaking of the Gospel. One theologian has defined evangelism very simply as this, the articulation of Gospel facts. And I think this definition is very helpful because it covers not only what is conducted in the preaching of the Word, but also the plain speech of the Gospel. So we make, we make distinctions, the preaching of the Gospel, the speaking of the Gospel. And yet, this definition, the speaking of Gospel facts, can be had in both. Think about it. Think about it this way. Not only does the Apostle Paul evangelize as he preaches in the Oropagus, but he evangelizes as he speaks to King Agrippa. When the minister of the Word then preaches from the pulpit in corporate worship and articulates gospel facts, he's evangelizing in corporate worship. Or when the minister of the Word preaches in the public square and begins to articulate facts about the gospel, he's evangelizing in the public square. But when the ordinary Christian opens their mouth and begins to articulate gospel facts in conversation with an unbeliever in their home, outside their home, in the workplace, in the airport, at the park, wherever it might be, they as well, like Paul before Agrippa, are evangelizing in conversation. You see, evangelism, in other words, simply means to speak of the Gospel to the lost. Its primary context? Where? The preaching. Corporate worship. But subservient to that is the speaking of these Gospel facts in every place. The one main point of this sermon is speak of the Gospel to the lost. It's not an indicative. It's an imperative. Speak. Speak of this Gospel. And we're going to look at two passages. Colossians 4 and 1 Peter 3. Uh, this sermon won't be a complete exposition of these texts. But we are looking at these texts and drawing out from them what they teach us about this doctrine of evangelism. What they teach us about speaking of the Gospel. So this one main point will unfold under four parts. So first, speak of the Gospel to the lost, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Second, speak of the Gospel to the lost, setting apart the Lord as holy. Third, speak of the Gospel to the lost, always with grace. And finally, speak of the Gospel to the lost, always ready. Redeeming the time, setting apart the Lord as holy, always with grace and always ready. First, speak of the Gospel to the lost. Let us speak of it, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Colossians 4, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Now, I know for many of us, when we hear the word time, we're thinking about the next thing uh, we need to do. At least, at least I am. And perhaps it seems that we just don't have enough time in the day. We hear that time is short. And what is, what is your response often? I got things to do. We live in a rush. We go from one thing to the next thing. We try to do as much as we can with, with the little time that we have. Um, I'm not suggesting that there aren't unique seasons of life. There, there are not busy seasons 
or that there are times in our lives when we are providentially hindered from carrying out you know, certain tasks. But I do think if we're honest with ourselves, it's easy for us to think that filling the time is, is redeeming the time. But those are actually two different things. You see, in Colossians, the Apostle Paul, after asking for the prayers of the saints, if you look at Colossians chapter 1, after asking for the prayers of the saints in Colossae, he exhorts them to walk in wisdom. He actually prays for this. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This walk is their life. What Paul is saying is that the saints should rightly apply what they know to be true. This is his prayer for them. They have knowledge, but wisdom is the right application of that knowledge. It's the right use of it. Paul is telling the saints in Colossae to be careful to rightly apply what they know to be true. This was his prayer. Notice that the word wisdom in Colossians 1.9 has the conjunction and. And spiritual understanding. This isn't a worldly wisdom that Paul is referring to. This is a spiritual wisdom. And if you notice at the beginning of verse 9 in chapter 1, this wisdom is the result or the application or we could say it's the fruit of being filled with the knowledge of His will. If we are really filled with the knowledge of His will... Wisdom. Wisdom shines forth. So Paul's prayer is for knowledge and wisdom. We can imagine it this way. Knowledge without wisdom is a head without a body. Right? That would look very strange, to say the least. So then, the professing Christian without wisdom is, is a dead rolling head. And wisdom... Wisdom without knowledge is like a body without a head. The professing Christian without knowledge of God, of the truth as it is found in Christ, is like a dead, headless body. So with this in mind, think back to Colossians 4, 5. Paul is telling the church, he's telling the whole body of Christ to live applying or adorning or wearing those truths that they confess before outsiders. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Walk in wisdom. Think of the knowledge of God's will in verse 9 that he prays for, that they may be filled with the knowledge of His will as, as clothes that you and I need to wear. And Paul is telling the saints, wear those clothes. Put them on. Let the outsiders see those clothes. These outsiders are unbelievers. Those who are lost those who are without Christ. These are people who are not trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. They don't know God who is truth in and of Himself. They do not believe God. They are under the common curse. They are enemies of God. They're in bondage to Satan. Now think of Paul's language. Colossians 4, verse 5. Redeeming the time. And then verse 6, he says, let your speech. And the, the apostle is still referring to outsiders in verse 5. 
Do you see the connection? Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech, let your speech. What Paul is getting at, and I'm convinced according to the context, that while redeeming the time includes our walking, our living, it also involves our talking about the one who saves sinners. It involves our speech about the gospel. Speaking of the gospel to the lost is part of redeeming the time. And we need to remember here that redemption refers to purchase. Think about this in light of the one outside that Paul refers to in chapter 1, verse 14. Colossians 1, 14. He refers to the one outside as an enemy of God in bondage to Satan. And, and so they need to be redeemed. They need to be purchased. They need the payment that only Christ can provide. And Christ's sacrifice was that perfect payment. And this is the Christ that we speak of to the outsider. We speak of His person, the eternal Son of God who became flesh, the God-man. We speak of Him who is the only mediator between God and man. We speak of His person. We speak of His work. We speak of His sufferings. We speak of His glory. We speak of His incarnation. How the second person of the Godhead, very God of very God, was born of a woman, born under the law to, to redeem those who were under the law. We speak of His sinless life. We speak of His perfect obedience. We speak of His death upon a cross to pay the penalty for the sins of His people. We speak of His burial for three days. We speak of His resurrection from the dead. We speak of how He appeared to many witnesses and then He ascended into glory. The God-man. We speak of how He is seated there at the right hand of God, ruling now, reigning now as King over all. We speak of how He is on His way to judge the living, those who believe, and the dead, those who do not believe. This is the Christ of whom we speak. Beloved, this is your Gospel. This is my Gospel. And this Gospel should be promoted in our conduct. It should be promoted in our prayers. It should be promoted here in corporate worship in our giving to support our ministers so that they are able to give of themselves entirely to the work of the ministry and the proclamation of that Gospel. But it's also promoted as we speak of it. And as we speak of the Gospel, we are redeeming the time. But are you redeeming the time? Are you speaking of this Gospel? I know there's so much that we need to do. And yes, there is so little time to do it, but let us find the time. Let us make the time to speak of this Gospel. And so I ask you, when was the last time that you spoke of this Gospel to an unbeliever? When was the last time that you spoke to your unsafe family member about the Gospel? When was the last time that you spoke to your neighbor about this Christ? Or, or maybe that co-worker or, or that stranger that started some small talk at the store. just happened to be a longer conversation. And there you had the opportunity to speak of the Gospel. Parents, when was the last time you spoke to your children about the Gospel? 
I've learned that, that times of times of correction. I have a daughter who's six and a half, five and a half, and a son who is two and a half. Those times of correction serve as perfect opportunities to speak the law and the gospel. I know I, as I'm as I'm correcting by the grace of God, I'm reminded of, of my own sin. You know, Papi has sinned. Papi has disobeyed. You're not the only one who has disobeyed. And I need Jesus Christ to save me from my sins. You need Jesus Christ to save you from your sins so that you can obey from your heart, so you can obey with sincerity. Family worship serves as a, the opportune time to speak of the Gospel. Um, I, f- I found great encouragement as I pray for my, the salvation of my children to be able to offer them the Gospel and family worship. Come to Christ. <laughs> you have so much to pull from because you see them every day and you, and you bring up your own sins and you bring up your... And who do we need? We need Jesus Christ. I know there's times where we correct our children and we kind of move on. And I've been there and I've done that. But parents, this is, a, this is the opportunity to speak law and gospel. To speak law and gospel. It may be a short time, but it's a, a perfect time to walk through these gospel events and to call them to repentance, to call them to believe over and over and over again. Speaking of the gospel to the lost is part of redeeming the time. And so I exhort myself and I exhort you, let us go and redeem the time. Let us go and redeem it. But along with this, speaking of the gospel to the lost is setting apart the Lord as holy in our hearts. Turn to 1 Peter 3 if you're not already there. But still keep your finger in Colossians 4. We'll be back. Turn to 1 Peter 3 and look at verse 15. Uh, perhaps, as you're turning there, some of you, uh, this is a familiar verse. We usually hear it with reference to defending the faith or apologetics. But what do we read there? Before the Apostle Peter encourages the saints to be ready to give an answer, he writes, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Other words for sanctify are, are set apart. In the Old Testament, there were objects that there were days that were set apart from common use to special use. But Peter here is not talking about a material object or a day. Peter says to set apart the Lord as holy. But He's to be set apart as holy in our hearts. Now, this doesn't mean that we make God holy in any way. We cannot. God is holy in and of Himself. But setting Him apart as holy in our hearts within this context means to speak of the Gospel to the lost. As one theologian writes, he says, referring to Isaiah 8.13, by declaring and proclaiming His holiness as the seraphim in Isaiah's prophecy and the four living creatures in the Revelation did. By declaring and proclaiming His holiness. This proclamation, if you notice in 1 Peter 2, um, 1 Peter 2 verse 9 This is not the proclamation of a sent minister, but the proclamation described in chapter 2, verse 9 
is that you may proclaim the praises of Him who calls you out of darkness into His marvelous light. It's a proclamation of praise by the church. It's a proclamation of praise by the saints. Part of setting apart the Lord as holy in our hearts then is to speak of Him. And as we speak of Him, we proclaim His praise. And notice here... uh, uh, that theologian was speaking with reference to Isaiah 13. In, in that quote, he's, he's referring to the, to the seraphim, to the angels. Isaiah mentions the example of holy angels. To speak of the gospel is to, to the lost then is to proclaim His praises, we could say, as the holy angels do in heaven on earth. And this, is what we, this is what we pray when we ask, Hallowed be Your name. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? As it is in heaven, but like the holy angels. Our friends, the holy angels, are another means of grace, an invisible means of grace, examples set to support us and encourage us and fight with us in worship. Think of it. They never grow weary of proclaiming God's praise. Now, they don't speak like we do. They are pure spirits. They don't have a body. They don't have matter. But they never grow tired. They never grow weary. Always fervent. You know, they're described in Scripture as flames of fire, unceasingly proclaiming the praises of our God. Highest invisible creature but not the highest creature. We are. We are. We are more in the image of God. We have all the more reason, saved by grace, to join with the angels and even surpass them. Sanctifying the Lord in our hearts then is not limited to only speaking of the Gospel, but but it's not less than that. And this becomes even more apparent as the verse continues when Peter writes, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Saints, speaking of the Gospel to the lost is an act of setting apart the Lord as holy in our hearts. It is a proclamation of praise. Think about it. If He has saved you, you believe He is holy. If He has saved you, you believe that He is Master, that He is your Creator, that He is your Redeemer, that from Him and through Him and to Him are are all things. So when you speak of Him, your speech is a form of praise to the Lord. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who was rightly defending your case? Have you ever been in the presence of someone who was telling another what they thought of you? When they spoke of you, they, they defended you. They spoke well of you. They praised you. In that way, by example, your name was set apart for special use, so to speak. Now, though God doesn't need our setting apart, because He Himself, of Himself, is blessed forever, our speaking about Him nonetheless honors Him and it, and it glorifies Him. It ascribes to Him praise. We, we give Him nothing that we have not received from Him. But our praise is commanded 
from Him and by Him. And it honors Him. Like in Isaiah 8.13, when we speak of Him and His Gospel, we are telling the unbeliever, it is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. And He shall be your fear and He shall be your dread. So I ask you, do you regard the Lord as holy? If you regard the Lord as holy, then His Gospel will be on your lips. If I regard the Lord as holy, His Gospel will be on my lips. Do we, like Isaiah, know that we are men of unclean lips? That we live among a people of unclean lips? Have you, like Isaiah, had the burning coals of Christ's blood and righteousness touch your lips, save you and wash you of your sins? If so, then speak of Him. Speak of His Gospel. Tell them about the Son of God. Even as you wrestle for words, as you pray, even when you feel discouraged, remember that speaking of the Gospel to the lost is setting apart the Lord as holy in our hearts. When you're telling that outsider about the One who is holy of Himself, you know what you're telling the Lord? Yes, you are holy. And in doing so, we honor our God. But if we're going to speak of the gospel to the lost, redeeming the time, sanctifying the Lord as holy in our hearts, we're going to speak of that gospel always with grace. Think about it this way. If we're redeeming the time and sanctifying the Lord in our heart and those acts are the work of what? God's grace in our hearts. How could we not speak graciously? I mean, the result is inevitable. If our theology of speaking of the gospel carries with it that we are redeeming the time, that we are setting apart the Lord as holy, we are going to speak of the gospel to the lost with grace and truth. Colossians 4.6 reads, Let your speech always be with grace. Let your speech always be with grace. And I believe this refers to at least two things. Sustaining grace and the subject of grace. First, I believe we learn about sustaining grace, our need for sustaining grace. We learn here that as we speak, we should be depending on who? On the Lord. On His grace to sustain us, to strengthen us, to grant us courage, to open up our mouths and and speak of His Gospel. Along with this, I think there is a sense here that as we depend upon His sustaining grace, that His grace gives us the ability to speak winsomely, to speak persuasively. Paul just wasn't a smart guy. When we read of him in the book of Acts, reasoning and persuading, it was by God's grace. In the face of all the challenges, all the persecution, all the hatred, he didn't give up because of God's sustaining grace. Uh, growing up in a big city, I saw, I saw a lot of street evangelism um, done in the way that uh, you're drawing attention not to the subject matter, but <laughs> you're really distracting from the subject matter. Um, these professing Christians were more, more of a distraction than, than anything from when they chose to speak 
the time of day uh, to where they chose to speak, loud and busy places where people are just, you know, trying to, trying to just get home. They're not trying to listen. They're not trying to pay attention to how they spoke. Maybe you've heard someone yelling. They sound very angry. All of it, though, was a turn off to people. All of it, though, was um, just a distraction. And, and even those who I would see, like, kind of standing around, they were, they were jesting. They thought it was a joke. They didn't take it seriously. Um, another thing to remember here is, is mocking. So not only do we need to think about where, when, how, but we need sustaining grace to discern those things. We also need sustaining grace to withstand the mocking, to withstand the, the jeering. We need to be depending upon the Lord to give us grace to speak the truth. I like the word patience, but more so, long-suffering. Long-suffering. Speaking of the gospel is not easy. So we need to speak the gospel always with grace. What sort of grace? Sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. To keep on keeping on. To speak winsomely. But I also believe with grace here refers in Colossians to the subject of grace. We learn here that God's free acts and works of grace should be the subject matter of our speaking. I mean, what is gracious speech if not speech about the one who is full of grace and truth? If speaking the gospel to the lost is done with grace, how can it not be done without speaking of Christ? It can be done. We have a lot of other gospels out there. But if we're speaking the true gospel, we cannot help but speak of Christ. When we speak about the gospel to the lost, it should reflect the scope or the target of the scriptures. Who's the scope? Who's the target? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The focus of the faithful proclamation should be reflected when we speak of the gospel to the lost. Remember, the proclamation is the primary way that God has ordained for the people of God to evangelize. But subservient to that is our speech. What did Paul write earlier in the end of Colossians 1.28? He says, We... Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Again, the one who preaches, of course, is sent. And this applies to street preaching. If a, if a man is, is going to preach, he must first be tested. He must be sent from this church, if anything, as a gifted brother, if he is not an elder, to preach. Because while all preaching of Christ involves speaking of Christ. Not all speaking of Christ is, is preaching. Nonetheless, since Christ is the focus of the proclamation, the primary way that God has ordained for His people to evangelize, then it should inform what? It should inform how we speak of the Gospel. It should inform how we speak of the Gospel to the lost in every context. Speaking of the gospel to the lost is always to be done with grace. And so if it is to be done with grace, its target is Christ. We see that in the proclamation. It should be the same in our speaking, in our conversation. But notice Paul adds the word always. This means that there is what? No room. No room to be speaking about the gospel to the lost in any other way. We have everything we need right here. Our speaking of the gospel to the lost shouldn't be characterized by, by disgrace. 
It shouldn't be characterized by, by crudeness and, and rudeness as if, as we've heard it said, that the gospel's already offensive. In our talk, our speech shouldn't add to it because of our tone and our attitude, even our, our body language. I mean, think about what we're telling people. We're telling them that the God who loves sinners is holy, that we are not holy, that we have not loved God, but that the Holy Son of God, He came to save sinners and only those who repent, who forsake their sin and believe in Him will have the forgiveness of their sin. We're telling them that all who don't repent, that all who do not believe, while under the wrath of God now, will undergo the eternal punishment of the damned later. That's offensive. Now you already know that how someone says something changes the way you receive it. Hard things can be, can be said in a way that I'm able to receive it. And of course, when we're talking about receiving it, we're talking about what we see here because we cannot see their heart. If you're presenting bad news to a friend, you're not going to raise your voice and speak with an angry tone. You're going to tell them the news with a, with a tender tone. You're going, to, you're going to sympathize with them. Think If it wasn't for the grace of God, we would be like the outsider still. Spiritually blind and deaf. So when I'm telling them, if you do not forsake your sin, you are under His common curse now and you will experience the torment of the damned, that, that, that should break my heart. That should break your heart. Perhaps even, even with tears, we tell them these things. And if you're presenting good news to a friend, you're not going to present that news as if you're half asleep. You're going to present that news with excitement. You're not going to yawn. Oh, I, just, I have something to tell you. You're going to tell them with excitement. Um, I'm thinking of um, one of my uh, pastor friends. His, his go-to is, hey, if you knew the cure to cancer, if you knew the cure to cancer, he says, what would you do? And so often, right, we turn to these things we talk about. We talk about these other things, but this is what we need to talk about. With grace. With grace. With grace to, to be uh, sympathetic. Grace to come with a broken heart. And also grace to come excited. Excited and eager to tell them of this news. Finally, notice that Paul adds right after this, seasoned with salt. Mark 9.50, our Lord speaks of saltiness. And He refers to having their peace with another. Isn't that what we want when we're speaking with the outsider? I'm sure many of you have eaten bland food. I've eaten bland food. And um, being Puerto Rican, I, I, I like savory food. That's what our speech tastes like when there is no pursuit of peace. Our speech is just bland. But salty food, flavorful food, that's how your speech and my speech tastes when we speak of the lost wanting to have peace with them, burning for their peace with God. Saints, when you open up your mouth to speak of the gospel to the lost in your life, always let your words be gracious. Let your speaking be that salty food that they might taste. And by God's saving grace, 
they may want to hear more and be saved. Saints, if speaking of the gospel to the lost is redeeming the time, sanctifying the Lord is holy, and to be always with grace, then you always must be ready. I must be ready. Speak of the gospel to the lost, always ready. Turn lastly to 1 Peter 3.15. Once again, note what the Apostle Peter reminds the elect exiles of setting apart the Lord as holy in their hearts. He writes, And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Think about the context, right? Peter is exhorting suffering saints. So, even if we are suffering... And if, 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 you're, if you're a believer and you've been a believer long enough, it seems like we're always suffering. That does not give, out, give us um, a reason to not speak of this gospel. That gives us a reason to speak of the gospel. This is the context in which Peter is exhorting them. No one's exempt. He says, always be ready. Think about Peter's history. He speaks from learning the hard way so that we don't learn the hard way. Peter, was Peter ready to give a defense when he was questioned by the maid in the courtyard? He wasn't ready to give a defense. And what did he do afterwards? The apostle Peter wept. He wept. He wept, there is described, bitterly. This is the apostle who later, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, went on to repent. He was restored and he then he spoke boldly of this gospel. This is something we all need to be ready for, both the minister as well as the church member. Saints, I have to ask you, are you ready? Are you ready to speak of this gospel? Are you ready to be questioned? Are you ready to give answers for this faith? Are you ready to give a defense of the truth of this gospel? But let's think about this further, briefly. What is this defense? How is this speaking described here? What does Peter mean by defense? Well, first I'm going to explain what he doesn't mean. Defense does not suggest that our speaking provides certainty or authority to the Holy Scriptures. So, the key word here is authority. Our speaking, our defense doesn't provide any authority to the Holy Scriptures. Why? Because Scripture possesses divine authority. God being its author. Our defense does not contribute certainty or authority. Second, defense does not suggest that our speaking provides reasons that men may believe. Sometimes uh, the works, treatises, conversations about defending the faith sounds very much like this. We're giving reasons for it. But that's not the case either. Defense does not suggest that our speech contributes, you could say, believability. So, doesn't provide authority, doesn't provide believability. Well then, what does our speech provide? Your defense and my defense provides clarity. I didn't do that on purpose. Authority, just easy way to remember. It doesn't provide authority, doesn't provide believability. Clarity. Clarity for who though? Clarity for you and I. For our sake. Clarity for our understanding so that we are able to discern the truth 
from error, so that men may be able to discern those who possess the truth versus those who, as Paul says in Titus, he uh, says there, those who contradict it, right? You know what the biggest religion in this world is? Syncretism. Syncretism. The mixing bowl of different religions. But our defense provides clarity so as to avoid unnecessary dismissal, significant misunderstandings, and false assurance. We need clarity. Our speaking of the gospel is theological. When we speak about God, we are doing theology, even though some contradict it. We need to remember that here that our speaking of the gospel is, is this. It's taking Scripture, which is already divinely authoritative, and received as true by faith, by the grace of faith. And we're doing theology. We're making that which is already authoritative and already received by faith understandable for our sake. That's what we're doing when we're speaking this defense. And we do that by our grace reason. We do this by thinking and speaking from the Scriptures by faith in our God. But what are we defending? What are we speaking about? The Gospel. And this Gospel is described here, note by the words, the hope that is in you. The hope. This hope is really a confession of our hope. It is our confession of that which is already authoritative and already received as true by faith. That's a confession. As the preacher to the Hebrews writes, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10.23 You see, we don't hold a confession to make our confession faithful, trustworthy, or dependable. We hold the confession of our hope. Why? Because He, our God who is who He is, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-wise, it's because of Him that we hold this confession. Saints, when the anguish of your soul arises from the fact that what you want is not, remember that God is. God is by His essence all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-wise, not only for Himself, but for you, His people. So you see here, he's, Peter's addressing suffering saints, encouraging them to sanctify the Lord, to speak of the Gospel, and as they speak of it, in the midst of all this anguish, they're reminded of this confession. And this confession is a reminder of who? The one who is faithful. This defense doesn't mean, though, that we should be able to answer any question about the faith. I think that's often a, a misconception. right? And we have so much access on the Internet to books. Uh, everyone's a professional trying to be a professional theologian, um, putting upon themselves uh, expectations that they ought not to have. They ought not to have. Um, so this doesn't mean that you should be able to answer the kinds of questions your pastor should be able to answer. You don't need to be ready for an ordination exam. No, this defense refers to an always ready speech about the gospel. One theologian wrote this, the ground, an always ready speech about the ground and the foundation of the Christian religion, the first principles of the oracles of God. We might ask, what are those first principles? And the answer is really simple. What God has done to save sinners through Christ. Can you speak of that? Are you ready to speak of that? Do you remember what the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians in his first letter to them? 
1 Corinthians 15. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Notice a couple things here, briefly. First, what Paul declares to them in the letter, he also preached to them. 15.1 Second, what he declares to them and has preached to them, the church had received. They had received it. So what is declared is received and what is received is spoken. It's confessed. That word received is confessional language. This is what it means to hold fast if you hold fast the word which I preach to you. This word received is important as it shows up again in verse 3 when he gives a summary of what he's, he's declaring to them. This reception is a reception of tradition or the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. One commentator wrote this. He said, Paul simply passed on what he had received. This is the accepted language, he says, for the handing on of tradition. You see, this tradition is equivalent to a confession of faith. A summary of what the church believes that the Bible teaches. You and I want to always be ready to speak of the gospel to the lost. And if that's to be the case, we need to know what we confess. And you know what two excellent tools you and I can use as we do so? The first one is the faithful preaching of the Word. The primary means of grace. I exhort you, listen carefully to how your pastor or that minister of the Word expresses gospel facts. How he extends the free offer of the gospel. Follow him as he follows Christ. So first and foremost, take heed to the public preaching of the Word of God. The second tool is the Baptist Catechism. You want first principles? You got it all right there. In bite-sized form. So I exhort you, take it up. Make it a Sabbath day exercise. Memorize two questions and answers each week and think about it. In less than a year, you'll have 114 questions. Just two, two questions each week. Trim it down. In two years, less than two years, you'll have the whole catechism memorized. If you just take one question each week. And in this way, in this way, it's not just about uh, growing in knowledge. It's not just about being well informed. Remember earlier? Knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom. And in this way, as we confess what's summarized in our catechisms and the catechisms summarize what is the creeds and, and other confessions. In this way, we're joining our brothers and sisters throughout the centuries that have confessed the faith to the point that their, their tongues were cut. We join with them. We speak for our Lord. We speak also for them. Saints, there are millions of people lost in the dark, searching for the light of the truth. But you and I, we have the truth. We know the light of the world. We possess His gospel. We know the good news concerning what God has done to save sinners through Christ. So let us take this command to heart. 
Let us lay this word up in our heart. Let us not shy away from what our Lord has taught us this morning. What the Lord has, has preached and impressed on our souls. Let us feel the responsibility that belongs to every one of us. And let us speak of the gospel to the lost. Let us go out and redeem the time. Let us go out and set apart the Lord is holy in our hearts. Let us go out and speak with, with grace. Depending on His sustaining grace. Speaking of the One who is grace in and of Himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. And let us do so learning to always be ready. Always ready in the words of Peter to give an answer for the hope that is within us. Let us be ready to express what we confess, the truth as it is found in Christ. And if there be any here today that has yet to come to Christ, come. My unbelieving friend, come to Jesus Christ. If you do not come to Christ, you will die in your sins. But if you come to Jesus Christ and you trust in Him alone, all your sins are washed away. And He will accept you as righteous in His sight forevermore. All who believe are promised the forgiveness of sins, permanent and perpetual, and life eternal. So don't wait. Come. Come now. Beloved, we have everything we need. So let us go out by the grace of our triune God and speak of the Gospel to the lost. Let's bow. Our Father in Heaven, we rejoice in this Gospel. We confess that we have not rejoiced as we ought. We have not uh, with zeal and fervor, spoken of this gospel as we should. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for we have not spoken uh, with gladness. We have not spoken with boldness. We have not uh, taken heed to that primary means of grace. We have not followed our minister as he has followed Christ. We, we are weak and needy people. Hard-pressed oftentimes focused upon our sufferings here in this present world more than the glories to be revealed and the glory that we now possess. And so we pray, O Lord, that You would forgive us for Christ's sake, that You would cleanse us and wash us, that You would restore right spirit within us, that we would go out and redeem the time and set apart Your name as holy and do so with abounding grace, learning to be ready. Make us ready, O Lord. And in all this, may we know You more and love You more and be more prepared for that blessed and blissful communion with You that we will share all together in glory. For this, for this O Lord, we long. Through Christ, we ask for grace to lay this Word up in our hearts and to put it into practice in our lives. Through Christ, our strength, our all-sufficient prophet, priest, and king, through Him we ask. Amen.